a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. It's a real privilege to be with you um, in the main meeting on a Sunday morning. Often I'm um, out with our youth group, Resound. With our youth group, Resound. Yeah. Um, so it's so good that you're... It's interesting to see how you do things in here on a, on a Sunday because we're often outside having a great time doing our thing. So it's good to see that you're well catered for as well. Um, and... We started this term looking at God as a father, and we have spent the majority of the term looking at the story of Joseph. We've been studying the story of Joseph, and the reason we spent the majority of the term looking at it is that it is such a long story. So um, it it really covers a massive um, and, and very important part in the Bible. Um, it, it's a time where Israel is basically the nation of Israel, which is God's chosen people, is being birthed. Okay, at the moment, the story, at the time of the story of Joseph, the nation of Israel is just one family. Okay, and so this covers a very important period of time. Joseph is a um, is part of a family where his his brothers. Um, end up giving their names to the tribes of Israel. And Joseph's father was a, a man called Jacob, also known as Israel. His, his grandfather was Isaac, and his great-grandfather was Abraham. And God made a promise to Abraham when Abraham was very old and he had no children at all. He said, God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you, uh, your descendants will become a great nation. They'll be more numerous than the stars. And that took a lot of faith for, Graham, uh, for, for uh, Abraham to, to take hold of that. And guess what? It did actually happen. His descendants did become more numerous than the stars out of one family. So Joseph comes from a very distinguished family tree. But the reason that we're looking at him today is not because of his family tree. That the, His family tree does not make him a hero of our faith. And that's the reason why we're looking at him today. And the reason, uh, so what we need to do is, is take a look at the story um, and, and actually see uh, the reasons in the story why Joseph is a hero of our faith. We'll actually see that far from his family tree qualifying him for uh, for being a hero, his family, his family situation, the context is really quite dysfunctional and quite oppressive for him. Now, if the video works, then we get to we get to watch the video of Joseph, which I've got to say, Resound have been working on this for the last three weeks. Um, Kathy and Chase, who are part of the leadership team, can't can't be here this morning, but they they've been working really hard with our with our youth group, and I just want to say thank you to you guys for for putting in all this effort, for for doing this, for Ben for editing, for for um, Lucy Eve, you've come up with so so many ideas. I, I, I know it's we've got a really creative group of young people in our church at the moment. It's a it's a real blessing to be able to work with them. So if the video works, God willing. 
then you'll see the, the seven-minute summary. Otherwise, we can take it from Genesis chapter 37 through to Genesis chapter 50. And if you're still in the mood to listen to me at the end of it, we should be home for about three o'clock in the afternoon. I think, I think we're just going to have to go for the executive summary here. Okay. Well, sorry about that, guys. We will have your screening on the big screen another time. So, um, the, the story of Joseph starts in Genesis chapter 37. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'll just I'll pick out points along the way. Okay, pick out landmarks. We can't, we can't read the whole thing um, this morning. But I, I'm wanting to cover parts of, I'm wanting to cover a lot of the story. Okay. Um, so Joseph, it turns out, is a young shepherd. He's, he's a, a young member of, of his family. So his, his brothers, a lot of them are, are grown up looking after, looking after the, the family's flocks, looking after um, the family's herds and their agriculture as well. Um, and I, don't, I get the impression from the, from the early parts, the early story of Joseph, he, he takes a, a bad report of his brothers to, to his father. Maybe Joseph is some kind of idealist shepherd. Maybe he has got grand plans for, for shepherding, for, for herding goats, for farming in general. And that wouldn't be surprising, considering that shepherding goats wasn't exactly a young profession, it wasn't exactly an established profession at that time. At this point in history, it hadn't been happening that, that long. So, so Joseph maybe had some good ideas about, uh, about how to take farming forward. You know, maybe he took it to his daddy. He goes, Dad, right, I've set up some, uh, I've set up some focus group, groups. They tend to like the lamb more than the mutton. And, and I tell you, Dad, that also that is, is better for our unit costs because the, the young lambs don't eat as much as the sheep do. Yeah, and, and that improves the carbon footprint, so that's, that's good with our, with our guardian reading demographic as well. And if we establish a firm lambing industry now, we can take over the world before New Zealand's even discovered. <laughs> Maybe he had ideals. I cer- it certainly gets, uh, we get the impression that he had bigger ideas than just, I'll take him from this, th- this herd, from this patch of grass to that patch patch of grass here and Joseph's father Jacob likes his ideas he likes his son and there's some favoritism going on here some real favor that's that's given from from Jacob to Joseph so much so that Joseph is given this wonderful coat and many of you will be familiar with this part of the story if you know your Andrew Lloyd Webber He's given this, every seven-year-old here, would, or everyone when they're seven has learnt Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. And he's given this wonderful um, robe of fine linen of many colours. And this robe set him out. This robe distinguished him from his brothers because, one, it was very eye-catching. But it also had really long sleeves, not the kind of sleeves that you would want to be rolling up and, and, get, and getting dirty, okay? I think Joseph was a little bit more of a manager, a little bit more of a, come on, boys, let's see what you're doing. And he wasn't actually getting his hands dirty. 
So it's in this kind of context that his brothers don't really like him. The Bible talks about them hating Joseph. And, And at this time, God chooses to give Joseph some dreams. And we'll, t- we'll talk a little bit about dreams. I don't think, you know, every, every time you have a dream, that isn't necessarily from God, okay? But these dreams that Joseph gave, uh, Joseph was given, were from God, okay? And we'll see some examples later on in the story of some God-given dreams. God does speak through dreams. He speaks through visions. We saw some of that evidence this morning. And we believe that, that the Holy Spirit moves amongst, amongst God's people and, and does reveal things um, with, to, his, to his people. And those things always agree with the word of God that's in the Bible. Just want to make those, those things clear. So if you go to bed and you have had quite a lot of cheese the night before, okay, and you have a very vivid dream, don't necessarily think that was from God, but... God does sometimes give good dreams, um, God-given dreams to people with a meaning behind them. So, Joseph is given these dreams, and they are incredible dreams. They're, they're dreams where he's out farming with his brothers, and they're cutting down the, the corn, and Joseph's sheaf of, of corn grows higher and higher, and his brother's sheaves of corn kind of bow down to him. And Joseph thinks, oh, I'll, t- I'll tell my brothers that story. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell them that dream. <laughs> Bearing in mind they didn't like him already, he tells them this. He tells them this. You see, there is a, w- a right way to do things. There is, there is a sensitive way to do things. And we're, we'll, we'll look at that um, a little bit later, that there's a sensitive way to share the word of God. So he shares these dreams and promptly he's sold into slavery. He's beaten by his brothers. This is Joseph who God had spoken to him. He must have felt so close to God because he would choose to speak to me. That the very God who made this world would choose to speak powerfully into my life. He must have felt so, so very close. And then, what would he have been thinking when his brothers grab him? When they taunt him for being a dreamer and they start laying into him. And they strip him of his coat that his father gave him. And they're, they're throwing him down a well. Would he have been apologising for those dreams? Would he have been denying the dreams that God had, had given him because of the hardship that he, was being, that he was faced with? He was staring down a well about to fall in it. Would you have said, oh no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean those dreams. I didn't mean what I said. Don't let, don't let me fall. And they threw him down the well. And then to save their own consciences, rather than leave him to die, they sold him to, uh, to some Ishmaelites who took him as a slave. Did I get it wrong? What were you saying to me, God? Did I make, did I make this up? 
You said they were going to bow down to me. You, you said that I, I was, I was going to grow tall. They were going to bow down to me. Not that they were going to throw me down a well and sell me into slavery. Did God abandon him? Or did God use that slavery and that beating to extract Joseph out of quite a dysfunctional situation? He would have been forever herding sheep between the favouritism of his father and the hatred of his brothers. Did God use that to actually bring him into a place, a new beginning, a new place, Egypt? And Egypt turns out to be quite a place of blessing. He's sold by, um, by the Ishmaelites to the captain of the guard. The captain of the guard is a chap called Potiphar. He's a senior military official. And he, frankly, can't believe the good value he got for this slave. Seriously, Joseph, maybe he had Joseph come in and Joseph starts cleaning the floors or something. But it doesn't take very long for Joseph to work his way up to becoming Potiphar's attendant. I'll I'll read you what chapter 39 tells us about, about this. Chapter 39, verse 4. Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted into his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian, that's Potiphar, because of Joseph, because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in, in, in the house and in the field, So he left in Joseph's care everything that he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. It becomes clear to Potiphar that Joseph has a great gift of stewardship, of administration, of management. He wasn't cooking the food. He wasn't scrubbing the floors. Okay. The, he was, he was organising those things. He was seeing the need. He was, he was thinking ahead. What needs to be done? How do we make this run smoothly for my master? He's put this trust into me. How do we make this happen right? You know, think, think about it. God has entrusted this world to us. He's asked us to look after it, to steward it. Are we going to take the same care as Joseph took of his master's house? Joseph's actions are so effective, they're so diligent, they're so faithful, that they speak of something higher. They speak of something beyond. They are a witness to Potiphar. That chapter goes on to tell us that Potiphar could see that the Lord was with Joseph. He could see that the Lord was with Joseph just because of what Joseph was doing. Colossians 3, 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, 
since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you're working for. Joseph is working hard. He's being, the Lord is blessing his work and therefore is blessing uh, this household in Egypt. And cue the next trial. He's doing a very good job. And that chapter also tells us that he's a strapping young man. He's a handsome young man. And Potiphar's wife takes a bit of a shining to Joseph. Now, based on what we've seen of Joseph's conditioning to tell the truth at all times, you would have thought that if she wasn't his type, he would have just said so. But no, he recognises the temptation in this situation and he avoids being with her. He refuses to be with her. He doesn't want to make a scene, but he distances himself from her. He recognises what's going on. And then she confronts him and he says, look, I'm not going to disrespect my boss. I'm not going to be unfaithful to all the trust that he's put in me and I'm certainly not going to sin against God by doing this. And she's very persistent and she, she grabs his, his robe. And you know, Joseph isn't stupid. He, he, his whole job was about foreseeing a need and making sure that things ran smoothly. And he knew that there would be implications by saying no. It, that it actually probably would have been easier to say yes. But he doesn't compromise. He takes a stand for faithfulness. He takes a stand for trust. And he says, no. And he thought, maybe he thought, I'll be dismissed. Maybe he thought, Potiphar will just kick me out. I don't think he reckoned on being sent to prison. He got sent to prison because of a false allegation of rape. Amongst all this scandal, he was sent to prison. For doing the right thing? Again, I just... Say, I say the right thing, I do the right thing, and I'm ending up in prison for that. In prison. Did God abandon him again? Or did God use that time? Did he have a plan for that time? Romans three, uh, 8. Oh, I wish I knew where I was in my notes. Romans, <laughs> um, Romans eight twenty-eight. I'm going to find it in my Bible. Sorry, I was I wasn't expecting to have to go through the entire story today with you. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his, to his purpose. The chapter then goes on in, in um, verse 35 to say, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, 
nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now that verse does not say, I'll take you back to the beginning, it says, God, um, and God work, we know that God in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That does not say that if you love God, you will, he will always do you good. Okay? It does not say that if you don't love God and you don't follow him, that bad things will happen to you. This is not some kind of argument for karma going on here. Okay? This is, this is just the way things are, that sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people. It wasn't meant to be like this. We weren't meant to go through troubles. God created the world for us to be with him, for us to be always with him. And we chose to go our own way, we people. We can say it was Adam, we can say it was Eve, but we, our human condition, chose to go our own way and not God's way. And so what Romans, this passage in Romans tells us is that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter the size of the waves that rock your boat whatever that storm that is rocking you with that group of friends or that oppressive situation at work or that sickness that you're going through right now or the storms that are rocking your marriage those waves will not be big enough to separate you from the love of God the wind that howls will not blow you so far off course that God will not be able to envelop you in his arms God can use the tragedy he can use the pain he's with you in it The Bible does not say that tragedy and pain will not afflict your life. It does say that he promises to be faithful and be with us and that he will, in all things, work for the good of those who love him. And so, he's sent to prison. And there, he stays faithful. He doesn't give up. He's diligent. In what he does. And his diligence catches the eye of the prison warden. The prison warden again gives him responsibility. And and Joseph starts to take over some of the responsibilities within the prison as a prisoner. Maybe God did have a purpose. Because now he starts putting him in contact with royal staff, royal courtiers. There were two people in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer, Pharaoh is the, is the king of Egypt, Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker. And, and Joseph puts him in, uh, in contact with those people. And guess what? He stays faithful to interpreting dreams. They have these dreams and Joseph interprets them correctly. And Joseph is hailed as a prophet and rises to the court of the king. No. 
he stays in prison for another two years. Another two years in prison. I remember once I said to Jenny when she, when she was pregnant and she was about maybe 13, 14 weeks pregnant and she was struggling with morning sickness. Morning sickness is a myth. I don't know why they call it morning sickness because it seems to happen all day. And in the context of she'd been ill for about, I don't know, a month or two with this, out of my mouth came these words, okay? Don't worry, you'll only feel sick for another two or three weeks. Two or three weeks? Have you ever felt sick? Any men ever felt sick for two or three weeks? I have a bug for a day and I think I'm about to die, okay? And I said to her, two or three weeks you'll feel sick for. It's possible for us to see with Joseph, oh, well, he had some responsibility in prison. He had another two years in prison. Oh, it's not that much. Two years in prison without freedom for a man who God said to him his brothers were going to bow down. For a man who was in prison under a false allegation. For a man who correctly interpreted the dreams of the royal courtiers and was forgotten about. He was overlooked. Have you been overlooked? At work, have you been overlooked for the stuff that you do at home? Have you been overlooked for that ministry? I've been overlooked again. I've been forgotten about. He, he could taste the fresh air in his mouth. He could smell it. He could see the daylight and the door closed. God forgot about him again, did he? Or did God use that time, extra time, to learn the language, to learn the customs of Egypt, to deal with less savoury people? And maybe that contributed to his ability to what we see in becoming the Prime Minister of Egypt. I'll use the word Prime Minister, it's easier for us to understand. But he is elevated to a position eventually in this story where he becomes pretty much in charge of the whole country. Maybe that time was useful. That time where he thought he was forgotten about. You're going through something at the moment. If you look back over the past year and you think, what was God teaching me then? Or how have I grown? What was God telling me? What would I do differently? And you think, actually, when I have grown spiritually... I haven't actually known it was happening at the time. I haven't actually known that that was what was going on until afterwards. I couldn't see what God was doing in me until afterwards. I couldn't see the blessing until afterwards. The benefit of hindsight. So, he's languishing in prison. Meanwhile... Elsewhere in the city, Joseph, no, Pharaoh has a dream, a series of troubling dreams. Troubles him so much, he asks for his wise men and his magicians to explain it. Can you imagine having a dream that was so bad that you told everybody about it and you wanted answers now? Now, this morning, 
Not some kind of government consultation where we'll ask the experts and they'll come back in two years. I want answers now because this dream has troubled me. This is a dream that means something. And he asked for his magicians, his wise men. They couldn't put Humpty together again. They couldn't tell him the story. They couldn't tell him anything that captured the trouble that these dreams had brought to Pharaoh's heart. He knew that there was something else going on. And then the cupbearer, the guy who had had his dreams interpreted in prison, then, two years later, he remembers, oh yeah, there was that guy in prison. He told me what my dream meant. He told me. And he was right as well. Maybe I'll tell Pharaoh. Send me the man from the prison. Get me that man from the prison. I want him to come here and tell me what my dream means. So Joseph is sent for. Probably has a wash before he gets there. About to see the king. Now, let's, what, would have been, what would Joseph have been thinking at the time? What would he have been thinking? Would he have been thinking, well, every time that I've interpreted a dream or stood up for faithfulness, justice, truth, Every time I've done that, something bad's happened. I've been sold into slavery, I've been accused of rape, I've been sent to prison, I've been forgotten about. So maybe I'll just tell Pharaoh something nice. Also bear in mind the last thing that Joseph knew about Pharaoh was of his baker, of Pharaoh's baker. He was one of the chaps in prison. Pharaoh killed his baker, had him executed. What for? For making some bad bread? For make, was the bread that bad that the guy deserved to die? So Joseph would have probably been thinking on the way to see Pharaoh that this royal consultation, this royal audience, had a relatively high probability of ending in execution. Maybe I'll say something nice. Maybe I'll say something that he wants to hear. And so Pharaoh is troubled. He says, Joseph, this is my dream. I want you to tell me what, what, um, what it means. And Joseph opens his mouth and he's thinking about all these things. And he says, I can't do it. I can't do it, but God will give you your answer. God will Give you your answer. He, th- this kind of feeling is, is reflected in another of Paul's writings to the Romans in chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth and of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments how, and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him are, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Joseph told Pharaoh, I can't do it. But God will give you your answer. He gave the glory to God. Despite, despite of all of his trials... 
because of all of his trials, because of them, he knew that God was faithful. He knew that God would always deliver. He knew that the word of God was true and powerful. And he knew what the hand of God looked like in a situation such as this. He was ready to speak God's word. And so he tells, Joseph, he tells Pharaoh the meaning of his dream. Now, the dream, what it meant was that on the horizon, there was going to be a drought in Egypt. There was going to be some years of plenty at first, where there was going to be a bountiful harvest. And then there was going to be a seven-year drought. Seven years. Bad news. Bad news for a country. Pharaoh would have been annoyed. The word of God that Joseph spoke resounded in Pharaoh's heart, though. Something that all of his magicians, all of his wise men could not tell him, could not capture the trouble, was eased when Joseph spoke the word of God into the heart of Pharaoh. It resounded within him. Joseph, one man, spoke the word of God into Egypt and Pharaoh decided there, right there and then to change the entire administration of the country for at least a generation. And it got them sorted out for the famine. It got them sorted out for the, for the drought. They were ready for it. And because of that, Joseph's family over in Canaan They didn't die out because they were able to come and buy food from Egypt. Otherwise, that great nation that God had promised, all all those generations back to to, um, Abraham, that family would have just died out. But because Joseph spoke the word of God into Egypt, because he did that, Israel was able to exist. Egypt was able to flourish. Pharaoh believed him. He spoke the heart of he spoke the word of God, the powerful word of God, and we know that the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. When God spoke, there was light. When God spoke, it resounded in the heart of Pharaoh. William Wilberforce, one man, spoke the word of God into Parliament and slavery was abolished. He didn't just speak one word, it was his life's work, but he spoke the word of God into Parliament and slavery was abolished. William Booth, one man, spoke the word of God to the streets of London and the hungry and the poor and the destitute of London were fed, were housed, were given work. Not just London, then England, and then the British Empire, and all around the world. That became the Salvation Army. And all the amazing social action that 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 group does. Because one man spoke the word of God into the heart of that city. And and faced, faced the hungry and the poor and the destitute with the word of God. And that made a difference. What would happen... If I went to work and said and spoke the word of God into my work, what would happen if you 
spoke the word of God into the hearts of your friends? Would it resound in their heart? What would happen if you spoke the word of God over your family? Would it resound in their heart? Would it change things? Would you believe that just as so many faithful um, heroes of our, of our state, of our country, have been inspired by their faith, that maybe the next generation of policymakers, of politicians, of school governors, of councillors, would they be inspired by their faith? What would happen if they took a stand like Joseph did for faithfulness, for truth, for justice, for the word of God into our country, into the word of God into this world? What would happen? Would it change things? Would it change things? I think it would. I just want to, I've been talking for a long time and I'm I'm just, I'm going to wrap up with just a couple of things. I mentioned before that Joseph seemed a little bit arrogant at first. He brought this dream to the brothers who hated him and expected them what, to think that that, was a good, think that was a good idea for their little upstart brother who maybe have had a little bit too much cheese the night before to, to, to what? That they were going to bow down to him? No, they were going to throw him down a well. There's a sensitive way to do things. You know, I'm... I was reminded the other day passing a street preacher. A guy turns up in the high street and he opens his King James Bible and he shouteth unto thee as thy what taketh the walk, downeth the road. Is what he's saying true? Is it the word of God? Yes, it is. It's from the very word of God. But was it helping the people walking past to understand who God was? Was it meeting them where they were at? Was it helpful? I'm not sure it was. You got, if you're going to speak the word of God into this world, please be sensitive. Please do it in the right way. And don't speak... Joseph maybe spoke that too early. Don't be afraid to speak the word of God, but consider it and do it sensitively. My last point, I'm going to wrap up with this, because we've, we've looked at how Joseph stayed faithful and he... And through all the, um, through the entire story, he took stands for faithfulness, for hope, for truth. And then bad things happened and he still stayed faithful. But I just want to say, I want to look at what he wore. He was clothed in this, in this wonderful, beautiful garment from his father. And that put iniquity between him and his brothers. And his brothers hated it. And that was stripped from him. He wasn't fit to wear it. His brothers had given, given it to him and he must have just thought, oh no, they're stripping it. His father had given it to him, his brother stripped it from him and he just must have thought, wow, I don't deserve to wear that coat. And then when he was given authority and power in the house of Potiphar, His garment was stripped from him and used against him in an allegation. Scandalous allegation of rape against him. And he was thrown into prison. And then he was called from the prison to the palace to be prime minister. And he was clothed in robes of fine linen. A ring was put on his finger. 
Do you feel you're not fit to wear that robe? Do you feel that your garments have been messed up? Do you feel that there's just, what I'm not even fit to sit in this church because, because you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've messed things up. You don't know how dirty my clothes are. You don't know how dirty my heart is because of the things I've done. And we read in the Bible of a man called Jesus, God's own son, who died on a cross to set us free. And he said that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. And the Bible goes on to say later on in Revelation that people are clo- that his believers are clothed in pure white, in righteousness. Because when God looks at you, he does not see... He does not see the sin and the iniquity and the dirty clothes. All he sees, if you believe in Christ, is the righteousness and pure white garments that that Jesus Christ has clothed clothed you with. We're going to wrap up there. Would you mind just standing? I just, I just want to pray a moment. If you just close your eyes as we pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this story. I want to thank you for the account of Joseph. Lord, I want to thank you that you remain faithful even through the tough times. Lord, I pray that you would speak these words into our heart, that you would would take away the words that I've said today that haven't been helpful and you would just leave us with your word, your sharp, powerful sword in our hearts, Lord God. That we would know your word with us. And Lord, for those of us this morning who feel like we're not good enough to be here, Lord, for those of us who feel that we're not clean enough to approach your throne because of the sin or the dirt in our lives. Lord God, I pray now you would, you would clothe us in righteousness. If, if you're here this morning and you want to respond to that, if you want to respond to know Jesus Christ as your saviour, to be clothed in robes of pure white before the Father, to know a new life, to know coming home, just as every eye is closed right now, would you just raise your hand? If you want to know Jesus Christ as your, as your saviour, if you would just want to raise your hand. Amen. Lord, I thank you that you are our saviour. I thank you that you've made a way to the Father. Lord, I pray that you would go with us this morning as we leave. Pray that you would keep your word with us, that you would inspire our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.